Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. Praise God. Praise God. You guys ready to jump into the Word of God today? Amen. Praise God. Well, I, I didn't give you a QR code today. And um, while you're talking, I can do that. Oh, you did? What, you guys have, I got you, boo. She's good. How many think that she's good? How, it's there. How many wishes she would talk more and I would talk less? Thanks, Jasmine. Le <laughs> oh, thanks, Hayden. I just put everybody on the spot, right? They're like, oh, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't like either one of them. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. We're talking about being entangled with God. And there's a, a social definition of the word entangled or entanglement, but I believe that the original definition of marriage is an entanglement. It's so interconnected with each other and with God that you can't tell where we begin and where God ends. Amen? That it's just all entangled together and it becomes one. By looking at the way, and we, we begin studying this out of the book of Genesis, um, where God created the earth and God created man and and there within the first just couple of chapters of Genesis, it outlines everything really that we need for our faith, um, everything that we need to live a successful life. By looking at that and Adam and Eve individually and how they work together to accomplish the purpose of God, we see what God's intentions were for relationship and for marriage. Two people choosing to be permanently entangled together on a continual journey to tighten, to build, and to protect that union that God has set. Amen? Praise God. Amen? Okay. Um, last week, you guys were like crazy quiet. Please don't be crazy quiet. All right? You, you have to make some noise. You have to let me know that you're not asleep. Um, you have to let me know that you're not like more interested in... Um, what somebody posted on Instagram than what's happening right in front of you. So I'm trying really hard to be that interesting, okay? So let me know. This is a conversation. We're familia. This is not a lecture, all right? So let's talk together. Can we do that? Are we in agreement today? Yes. Amen. I'm going to break through this wall. I'm telling you, I'm going to break through this wall. All right. Go. It's your turn. Oh. It's your turn. I think they're clapping because you stopped talking. I think I'm so, kidding. too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're my favorite person to listen to, so I just joke. <laughs> I am biased. That's true. But So last week we ended in Genesis chapter 2, and we it came to a kind of closing of around verses 24 and 25 that says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
And they were both naked, not afraid. The man and his wife. If you guys haven't heard last week's message, please go back and listen to it. I was a complete idiot at the end. I was like, they were naked and afraid. And I was like, wait, I think that was a reality show. That's not, it's nothing to do with Jesus at all. (laughs) So I, I find it very interesting that we end this whole like beautiful creation, right? And we see what marriage is supposed to be like. And it says that they were, they were naked and they were not ashamed. And then immediately verse three picks up with the serpent. Immediately the enemy came to destroy what God had created. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And to answer the question, it's funny, we were talking to Roland and Yaya last week about this and whose fault was it, right? Was it Eve's fault? Was it all Eve's fault? Was it Adam's fault? So we're going to talk about that today and we're going to see where they fell. So um, in Genesis chapter three, verse number one, that's where we're starting at today. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And so immediately he came and he started to instill some doubt, right? He knew what God had said. And so that's what he does best, right? He twists things. He takes something that God has intended for your good and he twists it just a little bit to pervert it a little bit to get you off track. And it starts little and it's gradual. And so he starts with that. Does that really what he said? And starts planting those little seeds of doubt so that he could further that. And so that's our first thing that, you know, we see is that attack of the enemy. So looking at your marriage, looking at your life, where are those little seeds of doubt coming from? Because if we don't address those little seeds of doubt and take it to the word of God and see what God says about it, then they start to grow. And so we have to be very careful in protecting our marriage, protecting our personal life in what God tells us and how the enemy will try to twist that. Um, that's you. Smooth transition. Are you dead? No. Oh, okay. I'm not dead. I'm right in front of you. <laughs> I'm, I feel happy. Anybody get that? Nobody gets that reference at all? Nobody. I feel happy. Wow. It's, uh, it's an old, really stupid movie. It's like, I'm not dead. I feel happy. Sorry. Let's move on. Um, you know, the, the more that Eve got away from the word of God, we don't know how long this conversation lasted with the serpent, but the more that Eve got away from the, more, the word of God, the more she began to doubt. I think that we can take note in our life that the further we get away from the word of God, the more we begin to doubt what God said, the less of a hold it has in our life, and the more we begin to introduce other things into that entanglement. That's why it's so important that we stay connected to the Word of God. One way we do that is by staying connected to a body of believers. We can stay charged up by staying connected to people that are going to speak the Word of God to us. Amen? Praise God. Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light unto my path. The further we deviate from the word of God, the harder it is to see, because it's lighting up our pathway. When it's hard to see, we start bumping into stuff. We start feeling. We don't know which direction we're going. It's easy to get lost. But when we stay hooked up with the word of God, then we know the direction that we're going, and the word of God lights our pathway. Amen? Praise God. In Genesis 3, verse 2 and 3, going on with the story, it says, Of course, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. 
It's only the fruit of the tree of the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And God said, see, Eve had strayed away from the word of God, and she began to get confused of what the word of God said. She says, God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. It may seem like a little detail, but God never said anything about touching the tree. He said, you shall not eat of it. It may seem like a little detail, but when you deviate from the word of God, then you begin to twist it. You begin to doubt. Stay hooked up with the word of God. That's right. So, you know, Eve, right there in her first response to the enemy, I feel like she did her best right there. Like, the enemy came and said that, you know, can't you eat of anything? And she immediately said, no, this is what God said. She did exactly what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take it back to the word of God and said, you know, no, this is what he said. What you said isn't quite right. This is what he said. She still got a little bit wrong, but she was doing her best to take that, that thought captive, right? So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, it says, for, we walk, for though we walk in flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In our marriages, we're not warring against the flesh. I don't know if anybody's ever had a fight in your marriage, but, um, no. but we, we've had a couple. And uh, so... We have to remember that anytime that you have conflict in your marriage, you're not warring against the flesh. You're warring against a spiritual stronghold that's trying to derail your purpose. This union is part of your purpose. And so, yeah, it may be about something that's so trivial in your house. Most fights are over something very trivial, right? If we're being honest. A lot of us don't like to be honest because it, it exposes us, right? But when we experience those times of conflict, a lot of times it's over something trivial, but it seems like the biggest deal at the time. But the thing is that we're not warring in the flesh. We're warring in the spirit. It's not that person that's trying to hurt you. It's principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. And I'm not saying, I don't want you to go home next time you get in a fight and say, Pastor Jason said that darkness is in you and that you're demon possessed. That's not what I said at all. The devil made you do it. The devil is in you. What I'm saying is that there, there are spiritual heaviness that is trying to derail your purpose that you have in this union. And they're at work if we don't take aggressive action against them to say, you are not welcome in this place. We need to recognize them for what they are. I believe that the Spirit of God has given us the power to discern in those moments, to say, no, this is not what it seems like on the surface. How many people fight on your way to church? I don't want to see your hands. Stop raising your hand. Uh, how, how many people, I mean, really, how many of you, you get up, Saturday was great, right? Sunday morning, what happens? All hell breaks loose, right? Kids are running around. You don't know what they're possessed with. Right? Connor's offended. I mean, just what happens? It's trying to derail your purpose. It's trying to derail your union. Amen? Praise God. You know, if you'll 
that revelation, if you'll latch onto that revelation that it's not you versus your spouse, it's you two versus an enemy that's coming to attack, then it will change the way that you fight, right? And so instead of when, uh, shocker, but when Jason wakes up cranky and leaves the house that morning and I'm like, what? It's like a once a year. It's of like course, a of course. <laughs> so he leaves the house and I'm like, what was his problem? I don't deserve that, right? And so I'm getting all riled up, right? Because I'm ready to fight back. But instead, if we'll look at that and say, what's going on there? Like, that's not him. That's not the man that loves me, the man that treasures me. And so something is going on there. What is the attack that's happening there? How can we attack that together? It will change the way you respond. And it'll change your relationship. And it's, it's not easy because that flesh inside of us, when somebody's ugly, right? We want to get ugly back and we'll just feed it. But if we'll, instead we'll take a step back and say, okay, what's going on there? And sometimes it takes physically going to the person and saying, what, what's going on? Like, I know that that wasn't a reaction to what I just said or did. Like, sometimes we just get it wrong, right? Sometimes we just do something wrong. But sometimes it seems like it's totally out of the blue. And so if we'll take the moment to say, what's going on? Like, what can we fight together instead of trying to fight it alone? Because we're going to see throughout the story that Eve gets into trouble because she was fighting alone. And it could have been a different situation if they had fought together. I think on the other side of that, too, um, one thing that we've really tried, and we, we've said this to so many different people as we've counseled one-on-one and, and marriage counseling and things like that, that one of the things that we endeavor to do is examine ourselves. It's extremely important to examine yourself. And so just as there's one side of it as I'm not going to take that as a personal attack, but what can we fight together? What if you're on the other side of that and you responded out of, out of anger or out of hurt, maybe that had nothing to do with the situation at hand at all, but there was something else going on? What can you do? Well, you can't take back the words or the attitudes or the reaction that you have, but what you can do is you can be quick to communicate. And so one thing that we do, first of all, as a baseline is we text, I love you. Sometimes we don't even want to say it. And I think that's, and it's not that we don't love, I don't want you to get that wrong, but, but sometimes, I don't know about you, but when I have all these emotions, I have a hard time just saying those words, you know, and it's not that you don't love. And so I want to establish that baseline of, I love you. And sometimes it's almost a race to who's going to text it first, because it's like, I know we haven't totally resolved this thing, but I want you to know that this doesn't change. I love you. We're going to figure this out. Whatever it is, we're going to figure this out. Um, And then secondly, um, I've gotten to where, and she's gotten to where that if we have one of those moments, then it usually doesn't take us long to usually by text as well. Um, and, and that's just us. That doesn't have to be you. You can do it by email or send a Raven or whatever you want to do. Um, you know, or have a conversation. Or have a conversation. You can do that too. Um, write it down, pass a note, check yes or no. We used to write notes. We did used to write notes. Um, but I, I think it's important to send that or to say, you know what? It doesn't have to do with this situation. I'm stressed about this that's going on or... I had this conversation that bothered me, or be honest, and I was really bothered by this, can we talk about it later? 
And I think those are really important things to be able to open up those lines of communication and say, I'm not going to hold on to this. I'm not going to suppress this. But now may not be the best time for me to have a conversation about this because I've got to do some work in me. And so as you do that, then you open up that line of communication to be able to say, this is not going to stand, and I don't want you to go through your day holding on to it, and I'm going to work on it. And as you do that, then you'll experience some freedom and some success. Amen? That's right. You know, I think ideally you want to sit down and hash everything out right then, right? And I think ideally that's that's the way to go. But sometimes, I mean, life is real, right? And so even if it wasn't a big deal, but it was something that was said in the morning that just rubbed you the wrong way, right? But instead of letting it go and letting it go and letting something else go until eventually you explode, it's taking a time to say, this is what I took from what you said, right? I didn't appreciate the way you responded here. Or I didn't respond properly there. I'm sorry. Move on, right? If we'll just address things, then we get to address those little things while they're little things before we're both blowing up and hot-headed, right? Um, so, sorry, did you have something to add? No, I was just pointing out the fact that you're hot-headed a lot more than I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that right there. <laughs> so... <laughs> So we see where the serpent comes to Eve, right? Eve responds and says, no, we can't do that because we'll die. And the enemy comes back and verses four and five says, oh, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil, which is more doubt and more twisting of the truth, right? Because was it 100% a lie? No, there's some truth in that. Their eyes were going to be open when they ate of it. And then he made it almost sound like it was a noble intention, saying, you'll be like God, right? He takes something that was, God gave them an instruction to protect them. And he immediately came in and tried to twist it to make it look a little better, right? To make it look appealing. Oh, it's a good thing, right? You want to be like God. That's our goal, right? We're trying every day to be a little more like Jesus, right? So he takes that and says, Oh, do this and you'll be a little bit closer. I, I think that when we talk about this story, um, we really focus on the fact that the serpent is, is a, a liar. And the devil is a liar. We know that. The only thing the devil can do is lie. But I think we get the, the lying wrong in this. Um, he wasn't lying when he said, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Where he was lying is saying, you won't die. And a lot of times we feel like that dying is like a physical death, like I'm going to sin and I'm going to die, just like that. And that's not true. We know that's not true because we've all sinned and we all sit here, right? We don't just get struck down or we don't, you know, die. Can you die because of your sin? 100%. But do you always? I mean, you can only die once, right? So you may not immediately die. But what you're doing is you're introducing a nature into your life that God never intended you to have. Adam and Eve had only experienced divine nature in their life. They had only experienced the nature of God. They had not experienced evil nature at all. But evil nature existed in the serpent. And so when he spoke to them and he said, you won't die, but God knows that if you eat of this, you'll be like him and you'll know good and evil. All they knew was good. And so when they partook of the fruit, 
they were partaking of a nature that they were never intended to partake of. God never wanted hurt, pain, destruction to be introduced into our lives. But as they partook of that nature, that evil nature, then forever there was a war going on that's still going on today, good versus evil, that we have to fight every single day. God never intended us to have to fight that battle, but they partook of evil. See, I don't believe that, that I have this written a little bit later, but it, it fits here. I don't think that Adam and Eve ever had a fight before the fruit because they saw each other according to the divine. They saw each other the way God sees us. But when they partook of the fruit, they began seeing evil. And it was, a fight. it was a fight within themselves that translated into a fight with one another. Part of the curse. Amen? God didn't want you to battle that. But once evil became introduced, it took Jesus to conquer it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. That's right. So I want to take a minute to point out right here, because we're talking about the, the relationship between Adam and Eve, right? And up to this point, we see the serpent talking to Eve. So when I was reading this and really starting to break it apart and study it, that was my first question was, where's Adam? Right? So I, I got Hayden's permission to tell a story that she was telling us at work a couple weeks ago, talking about your husband being your protector. And so she was, she was pregnant with Maverick, and it was, I think it was after church on a Wednesday night, I'm not sure, but they were getting ready to walk out to the car, and she steps outside thinking Dylan was behind her, and surprise, surprise, just off to talk. And <laughs> um, so she was standing right outside, right? And there was someone that he didn't know walking down the sidewalk, maybe looked a little sketchy, and he, like, immediately went out to her, right? He's her protector. And he's like, what are you doing? Get in the car. And she's like, I'm fine. Like, you were right there. And he's like, no, get in the car. Like, he stepped in, right? He saw something coming that could be trouble and immediately he was there to protect and in this story we don't see anything about Adam until after Eve had partaken of the fruit and so where did they go wrong there why wasn't Adam stepping in to say there's something going on we don't know where he was I don't know if he was by her side the entire time we know he was there later or if he was off somewhere else but I think that he was lacking in his job to protect his treasure, right? We went yeah. from him treasuring her and seeing what value he had in her, and then why was she fighting alone? And on the other side of that, I don't blame Adam all the way either, but why didn't Eve turn to Adam? Why didn't she turn and say, what should we do, right? Like we said earlier, it possibly could have been a different scenario, and I know we all we talk about, oh, well, if Eve hadn't messed up, I would have, right? We, Sin would have entered at some point, but could this have been a different situation if they had turned together and fought the enemy like they could have? Yeah, if, if, even if Adam was present physically, and we don't, we don't know that. The scripture doesn't say until she turns to him and talks to him. So we don't know how long the conversation was with the serpent or if he was present during that entire conversation. But whether or not he was present physically, he was not present spiritually. He wasn't doing the job that God had created him to do in that situation. As we talked about last week, we have well-defined roles that God built into the creation of mankind. Adam wasn't fulfilling his. And since he wasn't fulfilling his, it opened up the door for the enemy to begin to work in their union, in their marriage. That's right. Um, so in Genesis 3, chapter 6, 
It says the woman was convinced. She saw the fruit. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And so, in this few, I guess six verses that we look at, the enemy did three things to entice Eve. First, he introduced doubt, right? And I believe mistake number one was when that doubt was introduced, she didn't turn to, to Adam to talk about that doubt, right? How many times do we face something and, or even have an idea, like talking about like the sermon and stuff, we come to each other and we're like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. What do you think about this? That's She usually it does it at five in the morning. Sometimes. Hey, guess what? I found this. I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, good morning. You want to see what God just showed me? And he's like, I actually uh, said no one day. She's did. <laughs> that was last Sunday. Yeah, it right was. before church. Last Sunday morning. I yeah. was like, hey, guess what I just got? And, and like the like, moment I opened no. my eyes, I'm like, open my eyes. I don't even know where I am. She's like, hey, you want to hear what God showed me? No. I had been awake for like an hour and a half studying. So I was like built up on things, right? <laughs> I was on a Jesus high. <laughs> I'm like, hey, look at this. So the enemy introduced doubt. The second thing he did is he appealed to her mind by twisting the truth to deceive her, right? And then the third thing that he did was he appealed to her flesh by using the beauty in something that God had created. God created that tree. God had that tree create that fruit, right? It was all something that God had created, but he used it outside of God's purpose or outside of God's direction. Sometimes the enemy will put things in front of you that look good and maybe even look noble, but if it's not within the direction of what God has given you, then it's not yours to take of. And that's something we've, gosh, talked about a lot. Even like, you know, we own businesses and stuff and we've looked at so many business opportunities like, oh, this looks really good. And then we're like, nope, it just doesn't fit vision. Or we just can't seem, God's given us a specific purpose and a specific vision. And if we can't line it up within that, then it's not ours. It may be a good opportunity for somebody else. And I think that, the enemy uses those things in a lot of different ways in our life to put things in front of us that look good, that look enticing. But if we'll judge it against the direction that God's given us, we may have a different opinion of it. And so, again, in this situation, she's looking at these things, and where is Adam? Well, at that point, Adam was right next to her. And I just want to pose the question of, was he in the proximity or was, was there intimacy there? Because proximity does not equal intimacy. So I looked up the word intimacy, and it says uh, a couple of the direction, or definitions just out of the dictionary. says a close, familiar, and usually affectionate or loving personal relationship with another person. It also means sexual intercourse. And it means the quality of being comfortable, warm, and familiar. And all those things are great, but individually, none of them encompass what God intended our intimacy to be with our partner. None of those include spiritual intimacy. Um, it's very easy if you're not focused on that entanglement and making sure that it's tightening and building and growing and instead letting it fall loose, then you can be two people living in one house, sleeping in one bed, you know, being intimate in that bed and living two totally separate lives. We have to be intentional about 
every area of our life that we're walking together, that that intimacy is flowing over into every area of our life. If we want to have a strong marriage, a godly marriage that God intended us to have, um, it takes all of those things. All of those aspects are important. You know, we should be close and affectionate. There should be sexual intimacy in a marriage. There should be comfort and it should be warm and familiar and we should be secure in that relationship and we should be experiencing spiritual intimacy as well and growing together and knowing that, that purpose that God has for our relationship together. You know, spiritual intimacy, it means that you're acting as one. You're setting a standard together. You fight the enemy together. You overcome together. You're entangled together. Spiritual intimacy is extremely important uh, to our union and to our purpose. That's right. Um, you know, we should see a huge caution light right there in that, that scripture that it was an individual action. Um, you know, what happens in your life that makes you run to your spouse? Or what things do you not run to your spouse about? Because really, it should be everything. It's not that you can't be an individual and make decisions on your own too, but when you're looking at things that affect your relationship, you've got to tackle those things together. Um, instead of running and saying, Adam, what do you think? And are you, when the enemy comes to attack, are you ashamed of that? Are you hiding it from your spouse? Because your spouse is your greatest asset. And so they're your, your partner in your time of war, right? They're your ally. And so when we feel attacked, the enemy wants us to feel ashamed about that attack. You're going to be attacked. That's his whole purpose. And so what we do with that attack greatly affects how we can overcome that attack, if we overcome that attack, because he wants you isolated. And so making sure that we run to our spouse and saying, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to have those conversations, especially if you're not used to having them. We were guilty for a lot of years of just trying to fight things on our own. And, oh, I should be able to handle this, right? I'm a big rock and handle it. And he's like, I'm a man, I can handle it, right? And instead of running to each other, and then we end up warring against each other when we should be united and fighting them together. But you have to be intentional. You have to be proactive about it. Um, Adam was within arm's reach, it sounds like, if she had just reached out to say, hey, how do we have to handle this? How do we tackle this together? In verse 7 of Genesis 3, it says, At the moment that their eyes were opened, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Remember, before they ate of the fruit, they were naked and they were unashamed. But the moment that their eyes were opened, they partook of an evil nature. They introduced something that God never intended. And as they did that, the Bible tells us that they immediately felt shame. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Most marriage, marriages and relationship trouble is a result of how you see yourself. If you want to grow a stronger marriage, stop focusing on changing the other person and start growing a stronger you. It's a result of how you see yourself. Sin, we want to talk about sin. And as I was studying this, I thought, I only have like 90 seconds to talk about this part. Um, but I really think it needs to be um, something that we bring later. And so I'm going to work on that. Um, 
But when we, when we think about sin, sin is simply falling short of a standard, of God's standard. Sin is just falling short of what that standard is. When we look at God and God's perfection and we look at ourselves, there's no comparison. Romans 14.23, it says, whatever is not from faith is sin. And so we make sin out to be something that's a list of things that, that you can't do and, and everybody's list is a little bit different. Usually their list was made up of their own hurts or maybe their own sins or what God's delivered them from or maybe um, experiences in their past. Everybody's got a list. But when we relegate sin to a list, we miss the entire point of what Jesus was trying to tell us when he said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. That doesn't mean it's something else to add on to the list. What he's saying is anytime you're falling short of God's standard, you're sinning. Anything that's not coming from your faith or your belief in Jesus, anything that's not coming from that is sin. And so when we think about it that way, we have no hope. I mean, make a list if you want. That list will never end. There is no way outside of Jesus, and that's the point that he was trying to make. Don't murder? Well, great. Yeah, don't murder. But if you've, if you've looked at your, uh, your, your neighbor and you've had hatred in your heart towards them, you've already committed murder in your heart. What are you doing? You introduced a sinful nature into that equation that, if not dealt with, leads to destruction. You're falling short of the standard of God. God doesn't hate it all, right? And so we've introduced that into the life. Every sin is rooted in unbelief. Adam and Eve did not believe that God's way was better. They thought, oh, I have to eat of this fruit so that I can be like God, so that, because I need to see good and evil. When we are in our relationships and we believe that our way is better than God's way, then we're introducing a cycle of death into that relationship. We believe that our way is better than his way. And any time that we believe that our way is better than his way, then we're introducing destruction. John 16, verse 8, and I'm just going to barely touch on this verse, but it says, and when he has come, he's talking about Holy Spirit here. When Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin. A lot of times in church, we're like, yeah, we're going to convict the world of sin. But he's not talking about here convicting the world of sin with a picket sign or a social media post. That's not how you convict the world of sin. I'll show you in a minute. He said he's going to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. We really like, in, in the Christian culture, we really like two of those words, sin and judgment. Convicting the world of righteousness. Eh. He says, we convict the, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin because they don't believe in me. Not because they're doing X, Y, and Z wrong. Because they don't believe that my way is best. He goes on to say, convicting the world of judgment, I'm sorry, of righteousness, because I go to my Father. Of righteousness, because any time that you feel like you're not righteous, did you know that's sin? It's not from faith. Any time that you feel like you're unrighteous, 
He's convicting the world of righteousness because Holy Spirit wants you to know that you're righteous. And so he's going to convict or tug on your heart of your righteousness to know that Jesus is advocating 100% of the time with the Father about your righteousness. Amen? Praise God. He's advocating for you. And he's convicting the world of judgment, not because judgment is falling on the world, but because judgment has already fallen on the accuser. Amen? He's convicting the world because the, rule, the ruler of this world is judged. And so anytime that you think the judgment of God is coming on you, Holy Spirit is there to convict you of judgment, not to say you're going to be judged because of your actions, but to say the enemy was already judged because of what he did in the garden. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. The curses brought on by their disobedience directly affected their purpose. The, the curses that were brought on because they did not yield to the way of God. They yielded to their way. It brought on destruction in their life. And that's what happens to us when we yield to that nature and not the divine nature. That's right. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Then the man said, the woman, oh, we, we skipped part of it, but, okay. So Jesus comes and says, you ate of the tree, right? And then it says, the man said, that woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me the tree. That should go on a t-shirt. That woman that you gave woman. me. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, but it, I just have to laugh when I see that, that immediately God's like, what'd you do? And he's like, well, that woman, Right. The very thing that he just treasured, right? And was so excited about. When he saw her, he said, at last, somebody that's worthy to be my companion, right? He was so head over heels for her. And then they fall, and it's like, well, that thing you gave me, it's broken, right? <laughs> so she goes from being treasured to being the scapegoat. But so he said, she gave me the tree, and I ate. And so to the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you will bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So it's exactly what she was designed to do. It was her purpose, right? We said that women were nurturing by nature, right? But God created them to be caretakers, to care for their family, to care for their spouse. And the curse brought on, not that it took their purpose away, but it made it harder, Right? You know God has a plan for your life. And if you'll walk it out in perfection, following every step of the way that he gives you, then it's this like smooth ride, right? But we're not perfect. And we make things hard sometimes. We throw in some roadblocks left and right, sometimes without even the help of the enemy. And so it directly affected their purpose. And then he goes on to say, and Adam, because you heeded the voice of your wife, right? He didn't heed the voice of God. He put the voice of his wife above what God had told him to do. That's trouble. Either direction, right? Neither of us should be putting what our spouse says above what God says. And he did. He said, because you heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to, cursed is the ground for your sake. What was Adam's purpose? His purpose was to tend to the ground, right? To, to provide. And he said, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herbs of the field. In sweat 
In the sweat of your face shall you eat the bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So it didn't destroy their purpose, but it sure made it harder. And it's the same thing that happens in our life. Um, and then in verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins to cover Adam and his wife. If you remember just a few verses back, after they had sinned, Adam went and grabbed fig leaves, right? He did what he knew. He did the best he could to help cover them and cover their shame, right? He was trying to provide, but he couldn't do what God can do. What did God provide? He provided animal skins. Well, how did he get an animal skin? Blood was shed, right? And so because that blood was shed, he was able to give them a more permanent solution to the temporary solution that they had, right? Those fig leaves were going to wear out. They were going to keep replacing those fig leaves. I mean, I don't know how long fig leaves would last, but I don't think very long. <laughs> and so, but then he gave them animal skins, and that's something that will last long term. And so I believe that's a direct correlation to the blood that was shed for us. Right. Well, he provided the the ultimate, right? He provided the animal skin, and even though it lasted a long time, it was still temporary, and right. it could not do what the blood of the blameless lamb, Jesus, right. did, right? So right. he provided a temporary solution while a permanent solution was being worked out, and right. Jesus provided the permanent solution. Amen? We'd still be wearing fig leaves if Jesus didn't come. <laughs> that same animal skin that Adam wore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Bible tells us in Galatians 3.13, and the worship team can come up. We're closing. Galatians 3.13, it tells us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us, because it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Shame only came in when a nature was introduced that was not the divine. See, and now we battle with that because it's flipped, it's reversed. Adam and Eve, they only knew divine nature and they introduced evil nature, sin nature. For us, we only knew sin nature and by accepting Jesus, we introduce the nature of the divine. But when we introduce that, the old nature has passed away and all things have become new. In our flesh, we still battle with it. But our spirit is now recreated the same way that Adam and Eve were in the garden pre-the fall. They began to see themselves and each other through the lens of the fall, and that brought shame. I believe this, and I want you to get this. I believe that shame is the single greatest roadblock to purpose. I want to say it again. Shame is the single greatest roadblock to our purpose. Shame will keep you in a hole that continues to grow larger and larger. Shame will make you push away the very thing that God has called you to embrace and to love. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says that we have received mercy, and because we've received mercy, we've renounced shame. Because we've received mercy, We've renounced shame. Today, if we call on Jesus, we've received the divine nature of a holy God. Adam and Eve couldn't go back and partake of the tree of life. The Bible tells us that when Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, that there was a cherub with a flaming sword that was guarding the tree of life. 
I believe that Adam and Eve couldn't go and partake of the tree of life because it wasn't time yet. Jesus had to be born. He had to be born blameless. He had to walk the earth. He had to show us how to live, and he had to die on a cross. But interestingly enough, the Bible tells us that Jesus and the cross that he hung on was a tree. I think this, and Pastor Daniel and I were talking about it, I believe this, that it was symbolic of the tree of life that they couldn't go back to until Jesus came. God wanted them to just eat of the tree of life, eat of the tree of life, eat of the tree of life, because in it, they just continued to feed themselves on the divine nature of a holy God, and they only knew good, and they didn't have to battle with evil, and they didn't have to experience curse, and they didn't have to have the pain and the heartache that came with the curse. But when they chose to introduce another nature, the tree of life had to turn into a tree of death for Jesus' so that he could resurrect and become life. Amen? Praise God. And now when we go and we partake of life, when we partake of Jesus, the tree turned into a person. And that life is in Jesus. And so I don't want to leave this story off by saying Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin on mankind and we have an evil nature and you'll just always battle and fight and the curse. No. No. The Bible tells us that Christ has redeemed us from that curse. And so we have freedom and life in him. And as we receive Jesus and if you've already received Jesus into your life, you stand today in that same divine nature. That same divine nature resides on the inside of you that Adam and Eve were created with, with purpose. Amen? Praise God. So today, if you have not received of the divine nature of God, hope is not lost, because today is the day of salvation. Save from what? From the curse. Save from the curse. Life is provided to you. And so if that's you today, whether you're in the house or you're online and you've never received Jesus into your life, I want to invite you to do that. Just say this prayer with me. And I'm going to invite everybody that's in the room and watching us online to say this with us as support for those who maybe haven't. I believe that we're a family. Amen? We don't have to pray alone. So say this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe you're God's son. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again. And I ask you to come into my life because I can't do it on my own. And I confess you today as my Lord because your way is better. In Jesus' name, amen.